I'm going to have the girls come and they're going to help me sing verses 7 through 11 of Psalms chapter 19. So this is a very biblical song straight out of the Bible that goes along with the message tonight. So uh, follow along with the words in your Bibles it's from Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Ready? Chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Go ahead and turn these mic the speakers down, Tommy. So, the title of my sermon tonight is The Law of the Lord is Still Perfect. This psalm that we just read, I think, is just one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. I love the melody that I don't know who came up with it. We've been, I've been singing it that way since I was a little kid. We learned that. And I just, I love it. I love the words. And let's, let's go over these words again. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. What's that talking about when it's talking about the law of God? It's talking about the Old Testament, isn't it? It's talking about you know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Bible says it's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. And look how it says how we ought to feel about it. It says, More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. We ought to have a greater desire for the Word of God and for the law of God than we do gold. Because a lot of people think money and possessions will make them happy. But know what? The law of God is what will make you happy. If you follow the law of God, you will be happy. And it's better than gold. And it says, Moreover by them, is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. So right there, just a beautiful passage about the law of God. And I submit to you today that the law of the Lord is still perfect. It is perfect. And I say this because, you know, I'm very saddened by the fact that many Baptist people, many Baptist preachers today are literally mocking the Old Testament mocking the Word of God. I just watched a video. I did an interview with an atheist a while back and they did, an, they did an interview with me and asked me about a lot of things. And I was listening to them commenting on it and they were, you know, of course, mocking it. They were, you know, bringing up all these stupid arguments that atheists always use. And, you know, that's fine. They're atheists. What do you expect? The fool has said in his heart there is no God. There's a certain behavior I expect from a fool and I expect an atheist to not like what they're seeing in the Bible. But, when I hear Baptist preachers saying the exact same thing, then my blood starts to boil. 
Then my dander starts to get up. Then I get a little frustrated. And you know what? I I wanted to sing that song too because it's one, it's such a beautiful song. It's biblical. But two, it's just an in-your-face to these lame Baptists that hate the law of God. That act like it is a bad thing. And I'm going I'm to read some stuff to you. Just some recent comments made by Baptist people that I know against the law of God. That the, Bible, they, the psalmist David said is perfect. That it's something that is to be desired. And it, it's, it is heartbreaking what's going on. But you know, I'm going I'm to read a few examples to you here in a little bit of just, I mean, garbage that's been said. But you know, when you said, I, I'm going to try to, what I'm going to try to do in this message tonight, I'm going to try to show you, you know, really three things. All right. First, how should we as New Testament believers today view the law of God? I think it's a very legitimate question. Another question uh, that I think needs to be answered is, you know, which laws should be enforced today and which ones shouldn't? Those are legitimate questions, all right? The atheists want to know the answers to these things. You know, unfortunately, when we give them the answers, they don't like it. But Baptists, you would think Baptists would at least accept what the Bible says. But then, how do law and grace work together? These are all very important things that I don't think are real complicated. So I want, hopefully I can help you with these things tonight, answer some of these questions. But you know, when you are mocking the Old Testament, when you are comparing the Old Testament to Sharia law, I'm sorry, I believe you are dangerously close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit at that point. Because remember when Jesus brought up blasphemy of the Holy Ghost that does not have forgiveness? What did He say? He said how you know blasphemy against the Father and the Son will be forgiven, but not blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Now, what were the people doing in that story? They were attributing the works of Jesus Christ to Beelzebub. So, I think we're kind of in similar territory when we're making the law of God like it's from the Quran. I'm sorry, I, I don't know that if I, I wouldn't go as far as saying they blaspheme the Holy Ghost, but they are blaspheming the Word of God. They are blasphemers. What I'm going to read to you today by people today was full-blown blasphemy. And blasphemy ought to be rebuked when it's on the church. I listen, I just listened to atheists today blaspheming. That's what atheists do. I'm not worried about the atheists, but I am worried about what Baptist preachers are saying. But look what it says in Psalm 138, verse 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You all see that right there? God has magnified His Word above His name. Now, why would He do that? I'll tell you why. Because God cannot lie. God is somebody, you know, He wanted to give us, He wanted to give us truth. He wanted to have something we can count on. We can't see Him, uh, you know, physically. We have no ability to see Him. So you know what He did? He gave us His Word. And He made it the final authority. Often you'll hear people say, well, God told me whatever. Okay, well, can you show me where the Bible says that? Because you know what? If somebody says God told them something, but then somebody else says the Bible says something, guess who wins that argument? The Bible. Because God magnified His Word above His name. So think about it. While everyone would agree that mocking God is blasphemy, wouldn't mocking the Word of God be even worse? I mean, folks, that is you're in dangerous territory when you start mocking the Old Testament law that is perfect. That is the Word of God. That is dangerous And some of these people are just ignorant. I'm not saying everybody who said some of these things I'm going to read are you know unsaved reprobates, but I do think these are ignorant people who need to be rebuked sharply because of the fact that they are in dangerous ground. They are into serious blasphemy, and you know what? They need to be rebuked so they'll learn not to blaspheme. And the apostle Paul had no problem with doing that, and I don't have any problem doing that either. But it says in First Timothy one twelve. It says, and I thank Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul at one time was a blasphemer, and he got saved, didn't he? And I believe many of these Baptist preachers today that are out there blaspheming the Word of God. I'm not saying they're all reprobate. God forgives blasphemy. But unless they blaspheme the Holy Ghost, then there's no forgiveness. But these people, I do believe, need to get saved. I really do believe they need to get saved. I do not believe someone who mocks the law of God is saved. I I do not believe it. And so I'm not going to read... 
this entire thread of things. But a pastor that I know, his name's Travis Bradley. He's out in West Virginia, and he's somebody who's uh, he does not line up with us on every doctrine, but he's a good guy. You know, he's he's got a lot of good doctrine. I, I've listened to some of his preaching. He's a good preacher. The guy's saved. You know, guy's got a lot more going for him than he does against him. All right, and you know, and me and him, we regularly, you know, we kind of clash on some issues, especially about end times. All right, he just can't get over the fact he's wrong in end times. You know, but that's fine. We say all the time we'll fellowship with people that are pre-trip. Okay, and I actually put that into practice, or at least try. They don't usually want to fellowship with me, though. But this guy, he's a good guy. But at the same time, what he did, he did a post defending Pastor Grace and Fritz. You know, because Pastor Grace and Fritz, um, Cracker Barrel denied their church access to have a meeting there. They were just going to meet up there before they were going to go to some soul winning event. And Cracker Barrel denied them, basically discriminated against Bible-believing Christians. And Pastor Travis Bradley defended that. Now, doesn't that just make sense? I mean, it makes sense that you would defend Christians who are being discriminated against. And you, you would not believe the backlash he got from Baptist preachers for defending Pastor Grayson Fritz. They started hammering him. They started you know, accusing him of being a new IFB and an Andersonite and all these things just because he defended Pastor Grayson Fritz, when it came to you know the fact that you know he's taking a strong stand, I don't even think he believe, maybe agrees 100% on what he teaches on these things, but just the fact that he defended him, it caused a bunch of wolves to show their fangs. And it was disgusting. Some of the things that were said in there, and I'm not going to read everything that was on there, but these people, I believe, demonstrated their hatred of God's Word. Their hatred of of the perfect law of God. They're shame. They are, these people are ashamed of the law of God. Okay, and here's, here's one statement by Calvin Allen. All right, this is a guy I know, an evangelist, singer. Some of y'all know who he is in here. But listen to what he, this, he's talking about, Pastor Fritz. He said, okay, and what did Pastor Fritz do? He preached Leviticus 2013. Okay? He preached Leviticus 2013. Where does that come from? Does that come from the Koran or does that come from the Old Testament? That comes from the Old Testament. He didn't quote the Koran. He only quoted Bible. But listen to what he said. He said, This guy is no better than a radical imam with what he said. I'm not standing with that ever. Y'all see, imagine a guy gets up. I get the atheists doing it. I heard atheists doing it today. They were saying, that's like Sharia law. Well, you know what? I can't help it if the Muslims, who are universally hated apparently, because if you start saying Sharia law and Muslims and imams, Everybody gets scared. Well, I don't want to be them. All right. Obviously, Muslims are universally hated by these people. Now, I don't hate Muslims. I hate the religion. But at the same time, isn't it interesting how these people use Islam as, as the insult? All right. You know, just like we call somebody a homo as an insult, you know, they call them Muslims. You know, they, he, he sounds like an imam. That sounds like it's out of the Quran. You know, what you're preaching from the Old Testament, that sounds like Sharia law. I get the world doing it, but when a Baptist preacher gets up and says a guy who preaches Leviticus 20.13 is no different than a radical imam, that man is blaspheming the Word of God. That is pure blasphemy right there. Spencer Smith. Alright? Spencer Smith. Some of you all know who he is. Okay, He's been here before. Turned out to be a coward and a fraud. But listen to what he said. He said, when do we stand? Because he's being, you know, Pastor Bradley is challenging these guys. Hey, take a stand. You know, take a position. And he says, when do we stand? We are standing right now. We are standing with the Bible and opposing homosexuality. But this guy has gone too far by calling for gay people. When do we start calling them gay people? You know, why, well, these people can't even bring themselves to say sodomites. Okay? They don't have to call them fags or anything like that, but they can at least call them a, a biblical term like sodomites. He says, gone too far by calling for gay people to be executed. We don't stand with heretics against homosexuality. If that be the case, then we might as well stand with the Muslims. Okay, now why didn't the why don't these guys have the guts to say or to call us Jews for believing that? Because these same clowns, they'll say, you know, the Jews believe the Old Testament. We serve the same God as the Jews, but we don't serve Allah. Okay, but now the Jews don't even believe Leviticus 2013. Why don't these guys use that? Why don't they use that as a derogatory term? Seeing that our Bible is a Jewish book written by Jewish men given to Jewish people, why don't they say, why don't they call us a Jew 
when we preach that kind of stuff. Why don't they do that? Why do they call us a Muslim? You know why? Because Muslims are universally hated. And it's a safe insult. They're not going to call, they're not going to want to call us a Jew, but these guys are just hypocrites, alright? If these guys had an ounce of consistency, an ounce of integrity, they would at least call us a Jew. Because we're teaching what they teach the Jews believe. The Old Testament. Y'all, y'all just thank God out of that Old Covenant. You sound like Muslims. Well, if we're stuck in the Old Covenant, then wouldn't that mean we're Jews? See, you see how they make no sense? These people are frauds. They're liars. Calvin also said, you never even answered my first question while defeating all of us on this post because I said, I'd love to comment about how Pastor Bradley defeated all these guys big time. And he put defeating all of us in quotation on this post. Listen to what he said. This is, this is mocking the Word of God here. He said, was Jesus soft on sin when the adulterous woman should have been stoned? Okay? Was Jesus being soft on sin? If you're going to invoke the Old Testament for condoning talk of killing sodomites, there he said it, why stop there? Why not disobedient children, adulterers, etc.? And why aren't you sacrificing, wearing clothing of one cloth, not using cross-pollinated crops, and observing the Sabbath, because you are your own authority when it comes to applying the Old Testament? Point blank, you have chosen which Old Testament laws and penalties you like. Okay? So why do they always bring that up? Why do they always bring up the stoning of your children? You know why? Because that's what the atheists bring up. They're getting their arguments from atheists. This one guy, this I, I don't know if he's a pastor or not, but he was this dude in pink shorts that was defending him. All right? A dude in pink shorts gets on there, and guess whose side he's on? You know, He's on the side of the homo sympathizers. Big surprise there. This Josh Cox, the dude in pink shorts, he gets on there... And you know, and he's you know he begins with kind of just you know mocking the word of God, bringing up all these stupid things, and you know, uh, and talking about the stoning the children. And I'm thinking these people are morons. They have never read that passage in the Old Testament about stoning children. Because what what do the atheists do with this passage? Well, if you're going to follow all the law of God when your kids disobey you, you have to go stone them. But folks, is that what the Bible says? No, it says if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son. And when you've chastened him, alright, if he's after he has been chastened, and I don't believe it's a one-time thing, if the chastening process does not work, okay, then you bring him before the congregation, you say, this my son is stubborn and rebellious, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, he will not hearken unto our voice, they would take them and stone him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen that. I have never seen a little, you know, 4, 5, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I've never seen any kids that age that are already drunkards. Especially when their parents have chastened them. Okay? You know why? Because chastening works. You realize how rare it is for spanking not to not work? Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. If you actually would obey all the laws, if you would actually, you know, administer corporal punishment like the Bible teaches, you're not going to have a son that grows up and is this stubborn, lazy, good for nothing that is a glutton and a drunkard. Okay? Does that sound like a 10 year old kid at that point? No. We're talking about probably one who is an almost full grown man. But I get how the atheists run with that. But when Baptist preachers are doing the same thing, these people have never read these. When they bring up the mixing of fabrics, okay, and I'm gonna we're gonna go back a little bit. We're gonna try. I'm gonna show you what these things, how we're supposed to view these things. But can anybody tell me where it says in the Bible that if you wear mixed fabrics, you get killed? You can't do that. You know they'll bring up eating shellfish, which is you know also not a King James term. They don't even use King James terms when they're using these things or the cross-pollinated crops, all these things. They're getting these arguments off the Internet. And the problem is these people, they don't understand the law itself. They don't understand the three questions, how to view the law of God, which law should be enforced, because he brought up the sacrifices. Y'all realize Jesus finished the sacrifices? We've been commanded not to do the sacrifices. So the truth is, you know, can somebody show me when he said, get rid of the death penalty? Because I can show you in the New Testament where he said we should have the death penalty. So these are just bad arguments that Baptists are picking up from atheists. Atheists who hate the Word of God. And it, it absolutely makes me, sense, makes me sick. 
he said, you know, he, so he mentioned, was Jesus soft on the woman that was taken in adultery? You know why he would say that? Because he's too stupid to know what the Bible says about someone taken in adultery. You know what the Bible teaches? I think it's Leviticus 20.10. It's, yeah, let's go. Let's turn over there. Look at what it says in Leviticus chapter twenty, verse ten. Let's educate ourselves on what the Bible actually teaches. This is just a few verses before Leviticus twenty thirteen it says, "And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death." Now, notice what it, notice what the law says, and understand Jesus. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Not one jot or one tittle is going to pass on the law. He cares more about the details than we do. What does it say? Bring the adulterer and the adulteress. Can anybody tell me what they did in the book of John? They only brought the adulteress. That was not how the law said it should be done. And, once again, they were doing that, tempting Jesus to get Him to go against the Roman law at that time. And so what did Jesus do? You know, he schooled them all with a he that is without sin among you. Let him first cast a stone on her. Y'all realize he gave them permission if they didn't have any sin. But you know, they got convicted by their conscience. They walked off. And then what did Jesus tell, say to that woman? You know what he said to the woman? Okay, and the atheists never want to bring this up, neither did the Baptists. You know what he said to her? He said a really hateful thing about this woman. He said, go and sin no more. He told her to stop doing it, didn't he? Alright, and I'll say more about that in a little bit, because Jesus was not doing away with the death penalty there. Jesus was not, you know, ending the laws of death penalty there. I'll, ex I'll, I'll explain more about that uh, a little bit later, but the, th the fact is, Jesus was sticking to the law when he did not have her be stoned. They were going against the law. That's what these Baptists don't realize because they've never read it. It's like they don't read the book of Leviticus, especially chapter 20. They're not going to read it, so they say these stupid things that they get from atheists who hate the Bible. So he, he said also, I ask you a serious question. If you were a closeted Andersonite, it is very obvious by who came out of the woodwork to support you. That was me. But I would immediately tell by the spirit and the tone. That's what the old Ivy always does whenever you say something they don't like, you got a bad spirit. Oh, really? How, how did that? How did I come across with a bad spirit when I quoted that verse? All I did was posted a verse, and I now have a bad spirit. That's interesting. All right, that that sounds like you don't want to talk about the scriptures. You just have a bad spirit. You know that that's not even argument. He said I'm not going to say you've never read Galatians. I can't believe he brought up Galatians. I really can't believe he brought up Galatians. He said, but I'd love to get your take on that someday in person as it relates to law and grace. These guys do not know how to explain how long grace goes. They have no idea. But yet, he's challenging Pastor Bradley on this. I'd love to hear what he has to say about Galatians. I'd love to see what he does when he gets to Galatians 3 and 4. That would be interesting. I would love to hear that. But he said, uh, you know, and then he said, I'm responding to you because I did consider you a friend even though I don't think we met in person. He said, you made six accusations against me without even listening to a sermon. Well, maybe it was because you were mocking the Word of God, comparing a man who preached the Old Testament to a radical imam. Maybe that's why. He said, you know, meeting me in person, he said, I will await your apology. Uh, he needs to apologize for his blasphemy. He said, it's easier to put folks in your boxes because then you don't have to respect or actually have a discussion. Sad days we're living in when we can't even show grace to a brother. No wonder we have no grace for no, no one else. This crowd eats their own and we are all on the menu. And so right there, just, you know, just bad spirit, eating our own. Let me tell you something, that guy's not one of my own. We are not, we're not together, okay? I don't fellowship with blasphemers. I do not associate myself with blasphemers. People who hate the law of God, hate, hate the, hate the Old Testament. I got nothing to do with those people. But listen, this is what the pink shorts guy said. Alright, he's like, he said, Travis Bradley, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful and proud, etc. Why stop at the LGBTQ crowd? If that's the way you interpret this passage, then let's kill them all to be sure we're consistent. And it's like, once again, this, this guy, he's obviously never read Romans 1. He is not saying in that verse, 
that every one of these sins is worthy of the death penalty, he is saying that a reprobate is someone who gives himself over to all of these things. And there are things that are mentioned in there that are worthy of the death penalty. But the thing is, that's not the point. The point that verse is not given a list of things that people should be killed for. It's telling us what reprobates do. And it's amazing he wants to defend the people who do all that stuff. Because it says in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. And it names off all those things. And he says in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It said in verse 32, they're worthy of death. It's exactly what it says right there. It says the people that are doing those things are worthy of death, referring to the reprobates. Why? Because that person given over to a reprobate mind, they're filled with all unrighteousness. Now, not all unrighteousness that we do comes with the death penalty, does it? But a person who has been given over to a reprobate mind, they are someone who has been given over to all of it and they have done things that are worthy of the death penalty. And so the Bible says in the New Testament, they are worthy of death. So the, these arguments these guys are using, it's the same clown. It's the same arguments that clown homos and atheists use. It's the same thing. And so I want to answer these three questions because these aren't legitimate questions and I don't think you know people have done a good job answering them. And I, I think it's very important we can answer this. But one, how should we view the law of God today? You know, and which laws should we want to be enforced and which ones should we ignore? Alright? And how does law and grace work together? So, first, how should we view the law of God? Because notice how these people, they're, when, when you start comparing, when you start bringing up what about stoning disobedient children, you know what you're saying? That's terrible. Isn't that what they're really saying? Well, what about what the Bible says on slavery? And I wish I had time to get into all these things. All right? I wish I had time. I, I, I don't have time to get sidetracked. But it's once again, people do not understand certain concepts. And I, there's no way I could cover every one of the things that come up tonight. But I think if you get these basic ideas here, it will really, it will really help you. Okay? Cause let, let's go ahead and talk about the slavery for a minute. Whenever people think about slavery, what do they think of? White people owning black people. Isn't that what they think? And that's terrible. Okay? That should have never happened in this country. That was wrong. And our, our country paid a severe price for the wickedness of slavery. Slavery is a bad thing. Slavery is something that goes on in many countries and it has gone out throughout time. It's really bad. But you all realize the Bible doesn't use the term slave. It uses the term servant. You know, sometimes when it's talking about... Now, other versions often use the word slave. Bible says the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrow is servant to the lender. If you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, he always says the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, what's the difference between a servant and a slave? Do you realize if you have a business and you have an employee, they are a servant? Okay? And you know what? You ought to treat them a certain way. The Bible gives us uh, you know, he gives us some commands about how we should treat our servants. Okay? Everybody today is a servant to someone. We have slavery today. Okay? In fact, we have things worse than slavery today. Okay? For example, if a lot of the times when they would have slaves or servants in the Bible, you know, it was somebody who owed them. For example, if you stole from me, then you should pay me back fourfold according to the law of God. So you know what that one of the things they would do, they would often have a slave that was, you know, work off their debt. Okay? Now you say, well, that's terrible. No one should be a slave. Okay, so let's do what our country does then. In our country, if you steal from me, if Brother Josh steals from me, guess what? He goes to prison. I don't get my stuff back. You know, you know, I don't get I definitely don't get fourfold. If he's you know, if he's married and has kids, then guess what? They now have to be on the welfare system. And so now society is robbing all of us because our tax money pays for the prison to feed his face and to take care of him. Our tax money covers the welfare to take care of his wife and kids. And in the meantime, we have now separated a father from his wife and children over stealing something. How is that better than slavery? 
We talk about how wicked our country used to be with slavery. How about the wickedness of putting thieves in prison for years and put, getting their families stuck on the government system and robbing everyone else in the country? Y'all see how bad that is? So, once again, these people, they just don't even understand the law. They just hear slave and they freak out. And I don't like slavery. The American slavery they had, it was bad, but the slavery that the Bible talks about, it's not like that. You didn't own people just because they had a different color skin than you. A lot of times it was because they were indebted to you. And some of you right now, you are a slave to Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase. Why? Because you have to work to pay interest back on all these loans that you own. But oh, that's not slavery. No, yeah, it is. Okay, It is slavery. So just a side note there. Once again, I get the atheists just scoffing the way they do. But why don't Baptists take a look and say, wait a minute, this is the law of God. The Bible condones slavery? Well, let's see what it looks like in the Bible. Oh, that's not the slavery that the world's talking about. That's completely different. This is basically employer-employee stuff. They just, they've never actually read these stories. They've never actually gone through the whole Word of God. So, you know, how should we view the law of God? Well, first off, we need to understand that it's perfect. Okay? Our Old Testament is perfect. I wish I could get some of these guys to at least admit that Leviticus 20.13... Is perfect. That's what Psalms 19 says. Now, they don't have to like it. If they want to have an argument that I don't think it should be enforced today because we are in a New Testament dispensation, okay, that's stupid, but that's not blasphemy. Okay? They should, but it, why don't they at least admit that, you know what? That's good. The law is good. Look what it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. This is in the New Testament. Talking about the Old Testament, it says, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, talking to the law, about the law, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For I would that I that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Okay. Now, make sure you get this right here. Do y'all realize what you know? All Baptists would say, "Yep, we're all sinners." Um, based on what? Can, what are we, what are we sinners? What are, what do we base that on? The law of God. Okay? The Old Testament law of God is what makes us sinners. Paul said that the law is good. Paul said that it is holy. Paul said that it is just. Paul said all of that about the law in the New Testament dispensation. He said it was all good. So, does Paul give any indication that Psalm 19, 7-11 changed? No, he's saying... It's still good. We should still look at the law of God as something holy, something sacred, something special. We ought to see Leviticus 20.13. We ought to say that's good. We ought to see Leviticus 20.10. Say that's good. We ought to see the verse that says if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son and go through that whole thing, we ought to say that's good. Okay, The law is good. It is holy. It is just. It's completely fair, folks. Everything in the law is completely fair. God cannot do anything that is unjust. All the laws about servants were fair. They were good. They were holy. They were just all the laws about the sacrifices and the carnal ordinances were good. They were fair. Now, do I understand the whys of all those things? Okay, have I do I know right now off the top of my head why did God make a big deal about the mixed fabrics? I've got an opinion on that. You know, my personal opinion is that God wanted them to look presentable as his people. He didn't want their clothes weren't exactly like they are today. Remember what Jesus said: "No man soweth a new piece of cloth on an old garment. Why? Because otherwise it'll make the rent worse. Clothing it you know it shrinks after it gets washed and over time. So if you take a new piece of cloth and you put it on an old garment, it's not like the stuff you get at Walmart today that's pre-washed, pre-shrunk, all that kind of stuff. What's going to happen? Then that clothing it's going to." It's going to shrink up and it's going to tear the clothes and they're going to walk around looking like a bunch of hobos. And God didn't want that for His people. Okay. Now, in the New Testament, 
We don't see the Bible say anything about that. It does talk about modest apparel. It does talk about you know women that profess godliness with good works, about them addressing in a certain way. The Bible does give us uh, some guidelines on that. But we have been called unto liberty. Therefore, ceremonial things, they don't matter. Jesus finished those things for us. And the truth is, even if you can't figure out why, why couldn't they eat shrimp in the Old Testament? I don't know. But you know what? God told them not to. So I think He knew what He was doing. But I can also show you in the New Testament where He said not to let anybody judge you through meat or drink in respect of any holy day. We'll get more, about, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But that either way you look at it, that law was good. That law is good. It's perfect. It's holy. It's just. 100% of it's fair. Let's look at Galatians 3 and verse 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. Or no, let's not go to Galatians yet. We'll, we'll get to Galatians. But first, here's why it's important that we understand the significance of the law. Because in the last verse he said, in verse 16 he said, I consent unto the law that it is good. Do you realize when a person admits that they are a sinner, they are admitting they violated the Old Testament. And you know what else they're saying? That that law is good. And so, let me ask you, how are we supposed to convince people they are a sinner in need of a Savior if we're comparing the law to the Koran? If we're comparing people who preach about the law of God to radical imams? If we're going and when people talk about Leviticus 20.13, well, the Bible says you should, dis, you, know, you should stone your disobedient son. The Bible said it's okay to beat your slaves. You know, the, all these things the Bible doesn't really say. Aren't we then, when we make those arguments, aren't we saying that the law is bad? So if the law is bad, then why in the world would people admit they're sinners? Because for example, I reject, I reject the idea that I am a hate preacher who is inciting people to violence with my preaching. I reject that. You know why? Because even if they make a law that you can't preach against homos, I reject that law. I think that's a bad, unjust, unfair law. And so even if I technically am breaking the law according to the laws of this land, I don't recognize it. I don't acknowledge it. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. But if I go and I admit guilt to that law, I'm admit, you know, and I try to change that, I'm admitting that law is good. I'm admitting, you know what, they're right, I'm wrong. So for a person to get saved, they've got to admit that they are a sinner, they have violated God's law, and they are worthy of hell. They have to, realize, they have to admit that. How are they going to do that if we're bashing the law of God that condemns all of us? We're supposed to consent to the law that it is good. We're supposed to look at that law and say, I'm a violator of it. I've broken that law and I need Jesus Christ. I need a Savior. So we need to understand that the law is good, but we are bad. You know, and nobody's going to want to get saved if we're mocking the law and comparing it to the Koran. So we need to understand that it is good and, and the more of it we follow, the better off we will be. But they're mocking it. We should love it. We should promote it by practicing it and teaching others to do the same. What did Jesus say? He, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So does it look like Jesus wants us to quit teaching the law? No, in fact, it looks like He wants us studying it. It looks like He wants us teaching the least commandments. It looks like He wants us making a big deal about that. Why? Because these laws are good. So we've got to keep that in our minds. The Old Testament law is good. Okay, So that, that is our mentality when it comes to law. I don't care what verse somebody brings up from the Old Testament, what command it is. You know what my position is on that? It's good. It's, it's right. Anywhere where the Bible commands somebody to be stoned or put to death, as much as you know, that would be kind of disturbing... You know what? It's good. It's right. It's just. It's fair. I'm willing to accept that. All right. So, second one. I think which ones? All right. Which of these laws do we want to be enforced, and which ones can we ignore? Okay. And the truth is, we can ignore zero. 
Alright, but let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Alright, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. We should not ignore any of the laws of God. Absolutely none of them. In fact, but look, let me show you. This is what most of the book of Hebrews is about. Okay? He says in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there was a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and in sacrifice for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of a book is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through this offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So notice right here in Hebrews, he's trying to explain to Hebrew people, to Jewish people, how following after Christ is being obedient to the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was very important to these people. Okay? These were real Jews here that actually cared about what the law said. And so the writer here is showing them that you actually are in agreement with the law when you follow these things because it was actually prophesied that a day was going to come where these things would cease. And Jesus Christ finished them. So his, if you want to now accept His sacrifice instead of your, the sacrifices of animals, you are obeying the law. He is The whole book of Hebrews is the writer showing the Jews that you are obeying the law of God by ceasing from the cardinal ordinances, by ceasing from the holy days, by ceasing from the sacrifices. He's teaching them they are in obedience. Why? Because these things were finished. They got done. So we need a, we've got we've got to understand that concept. There are many things that the Bible says are done. And most of what we read in the book of Hebrews, it's the writer showing them that this following the new covenant is in no way a violation of the old covenant. Because the old covenant was very important. This is why we have a couple chapters explaining how Jesus could be the high priest when he was from the tribe of Judah. So why did he spend two chapters talking about that? You know why? Because the Jews understood that the law of the Lord was perfect. They understood that the Old Testament said that it was supposed to be a Levite from the line of Aaron. So they didn't understand. They didn't understand that actually, no, there is an exception in here because we have Melchizedek who is a priest. After, you know, and Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was teaching these people, you're not violating the law of God. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, who cares about the law? It's the New Testament. What did he do? He used the Old Testament to, and he put them in the New Testament together to prove you are obeying the Old Testament by accepting Jesus Christ as your high priest. That is exactly what he was doing in that passage. So, you know, a careful study of the law, you know, it will reveal your guilt. It will cause you to look, you know, look for a way to make things right. We're supposed to read this law and say, I'm in trouble. But if we see these laws and we're like, these are bad laws, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try to escape. You know what I'm going to do when they try to arrest me? Preaching against the homos? I'm going to hide. Okay. You know what I'm going to do when they're trying to kill me in the tribulation? I'm going to flee. Okay. You know, that's biblical. That's okay for me to do that. Okay, and if they catch me, then I'll just I'll preach in prison, whatever. But either way, you know I'm going. You know I don't agree with those laws. I do not recognize those laws. Those are bad laws, and the Word of God trumps those things. So how are we going to get someone to admit the guilt of their sinful condition if we're mocking the law of God? You're never going to get anybody saved by doing that. You criticizing the law of God and putting it down, comparing it to the Koran, you're not going to get anybody saved, and you're not saved if you're doing that, because you've not consented to the law that it is good. You have rejected the law of God. You have decided it's just something completely different. And you've never acknowledged your guilt of violating the law of God. And that's what you have to do in order to be saved. 
So we do. We need to study the entire Bible to find out what was finished. Sin. I'm not, I don't have time to cover everything, but in uh, Hebrews nine verse eight it says. The Holy Ghost signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances opposed on them until the time of Reformation. The time of Reformation came, folks. Do you all see what he's saying right there? Those washings, those carnal ordinances, they're done. Jesus didn't throw them out. He didn't destroy them. He fulfilled them. He finished them. And that's good. And you know what? The Jews, unfortunately, a lot of them had this attitude, no, we've got to keep doing those things. We've got to keep trying to obtain our own salvation. It's like, no, you need to accept Jesus' offering, His sacrifice in order to be saved. So once again, this is this is proving that this law is good. So you know we're not going to ignore any of them. We're going to find out, hey, which laws did Jesus finish? And you know what? There's clear scriptures teaching that the dietary laws were finished. It says in Colossians two sixteen, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or the new moon or of the Sabbath days. They'll, they'll bring that up. Baptists will bring that up. Are you keeping the Sabbath? No, you moron. Have you ever read the book of Colossians? It says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. We are not doing those things anymore, not because those things were bad, but because Jesus finished them and He gave us something better. That's why we have, that's why we have moved on. So while it's easy to go through the Bible and show where Jesus ended ceremonial laws, no one can show me where they ended the moral law. No one. It's just not there. In fact, we can see where they continued it in the New Testament. We don't have time to go into all the Scriptures, but Romans chapter 13, it teaches how God instituted the government for the punishment of evildoers. It says, He beareth not the sword in vain. It says, For this cause pay ye tribute. God has commanded us as believers to pay our taxes. Why? So they can pay a guy to go out and slay the evildoers. In Romans chapter 13, Paul said, for this cause, pay ye tribute to pay the guy going out and chopping off the head of the evildoer, one who is causing harm to other people. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king and supreme, or unto governors as to them which are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. The moral law did not go away. It's reinforced. It's, re, it's restated in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and chapter 13. We see it there in 1 Peter chapter 2. That somebody is supposed to be taking care of evildoers. And you know who's supposed to do it? The same people that God originally instituted to do it. Human government. After Noah and the ark, what did the Bible teach? Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. That's what, that's what was taught before the law. It was taught that. And it's still in place today. Okay, so now, real quickly. So how does law and grace work together? Because they do work together. Alright? There is there is something we're supposed to see here. Alright? So since Calvin Allen bought up Galatians, let's go to Galatians chapter three, a forbidden pastor uh, passage. It says in verse ten, as for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Is this talking about in the past or right now? The Bible says if you are under the law, you're under the curse. You know why? Because you broke the law. That means the law of Old Testament law is still in force today. Y'all understand that? The law of the Old Testament is still in force today. And if we break it, we are cursed because we're cursed if we don't do all things. And you know that's quoting the book of Deuteronomy right there. But look what it says. And the law is not of faith. Or verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So you all notice right here that 
Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Why? Because cursed is everyone that doesn't do all these things. So here's where grace comes in. Since we cannot keep the law of God, did God tell us, throw it all out? Don't worry about it? No. What did He tell us to do? He told us to go to Christ for salvation. He told us to believe on Him for salvation. Yeah, but I've, I've committed a lot of sins. But you know what? We're sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he's in, in, in Romans chapter 7, Paul was showing too how all those laws are good because they are what reveal that we are sinful. They show us our need for a Savior and it will cause us to call on the Lord. But if, we, if me as a Baptist preacher, I'm getting up, man, can you believe that Old Testament law says you ought to do this, says you ought to do that? That's just, that sounds like Muslims to me. That sounds like Sharia law to me. And then I'm supposed to tell you you need to get saved because you're a sinner? Oh, really? Based on the law? That says you have to stone your you know, little kids just because they sassed their mom? You know, oh, you're saying that I'm going to go to hell just because I ate some shrimp? No, I, I'm not. Y'all see why nobody's going to get saved if you're teaching that. When we look at this law of God, it shows us we are guilty and that it's grace that saves us. But you realize most of these preachers that are preaching this trash, they're repent of your sins. You got to turn from your sins. If they would read the law, they would know that they can't. If they would read the law, they would realize their only hope is faith in Jesus Christ. But they don't get it. The law reveals that we are hopeless without Christ. The law reveals that we are sinners. It makes it crystal clear we cannot save ourselves. So these clouds, they can't understand the concept of law and grace because they have so many other doctrines wrong. When you study the law, you realize we can't turn from our sins and that Jesus is the only hope we have of salvation. We're just going to have to beg for His mercy because we all violate the law of God. Every day we violate the law of God. And it's still good today. And when you study the law, you realize that we have all the, all the problems that we do in the world because we're not following the laws of God. You say, why do we even preach Leviticus 20.13? Why aren't you preaching about the mixed fabrics? Well, you know what? I don't know of anybody that has uh, suffered being molested by somebody because of mixed fabrics. I don't know anybody who has been given over to a reprobate mind because of mixed fabrics. I don't know of anyone who has suffered and gotten a disease and gotten AIDS because of mixed fabrics. But you know what I do know? that I, When we were at the hotel this week, we were watching commercials. They had a commercial come on for this medication where all these homos are on there saying, I take the pill. And they're like, not birth control. It's like this one for people with HIV. And then they had another commercial right after that for some medication for homos who have diseases. And then the very next thing we watched was a program about Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a homo. And they're talking about how horrible the situation is. I'm thinking, do you, I don't know why, because I grew realize all these problems on, that we're watching on television could be solved with Leviticus 20.13. I mean, all of them. So here's why we bring it up. Because our world is suffering today because of perversion. Our diseases are spreading because of homos. All, I mean, people are suffering. Kids are being molested because of these animals. And yet, people today, like, why even bring that up? I'll tell you why. Because other people are looking at all the suffering and they're saying, there's no way there's a God. How could there be a God that would let a little kid get molested? Oh, you mean the little kid who got molested by his homo parents that adopted them? The people, you mean the kid who got molested by a people that God said should be executed?